Trinity Baptist Church, a community growing in faith, obedience, and joy. Good morning. I was born to Christian parents, and according to our Lutheran tradition, I was baptized at five weeks old. I attended Christian elementary school and went to church every single week. I completed confirmation class at age 12 and sang in the church choir. I attended a Christian high school, became a youth leader by age 16, and had many mountaintop spiritual experiences throughout most of my teens. During my 20s, I attended a Christian university, and I was called to full-time ministry. I helped start a church plant at age 25 and a second church plant at 27. During my 30s, I joined a men's group and a small group and went on a mission trip. Along the way, I did encounter some trials. Uh, I mismanaged our family finances, and I fell short more times than I would like to admit of being the loving husband that I promised my wife I would be. But during these times, I experienced grace and unconditional forgiveness from both God and my wife, Debbie. After relocating to New York at 39, we experienced a major health scare as Debbie was diagnosed with cancer. And in the same week, I endured a major income reduction as part of a job reorganization. But yet, I never felt that God abandoned me, never doubted my salvation, never had a crisis of faith. And if you were here last week and you heard Keith preach, you could say that I had the pedigree, the book, and the tattoo. I was a Christian. The problem was, I didn't know God. I knew never truly opened my soul or surrendered my life to him. I was trusting in self-righteousness. But then, Jesus found me. He held me. He challenged me. He loved me. He corrected me. And he loved me some more. And ultimately, he transformed me by his redeeming grace and showered his righteousness upon me. Today, God speaks to me daily and reveals that his glory and his blessings exceed my wildest expectations. He's revealed that full submission to him is much more an amazing adventure than the Brad-driven path that I was on for so long. He has shown me overwhelmingly the life-changing joy of being obedient, and if I'm willing to shed my stubbornness and arrogance and apathy, and bend my knees at his feet, he will totally liquefy my life as his Holy Spirit fills my soul. Although this ride honestly began six months ago, I've experienced and embraced more of him in the past 203 days than I had in the 15,902 days before I said, Father, I'm ready for more. My name is Brad Darling. And I'm loved by God and called to be a saint. Our scripture reading today comes from Romans 3, 21 through 23. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, 
For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. This is the word of God. Thanks, Brad. Many of you are aware, some of you probably are not, that my wife has been suffering from a debilitating headache since uh, last February. So it's been right at a year. And this is not headaches that come and go. This is one headache that she's had since February. And it has, um, it goes from a six to a 10 on a 10 point scale, but it usually hovers in the eight range. And we have had, she's had, you know, three neurologists and who knows how many MRIs and, and MRAs and MRVs and all the M's that you can get. She's had them. She's had her whole body scanned and tested and poked and prodded. And, and the good news is they haven't found anything. The bad news is they haven't found anything that they know. So it's still a puzzle. And they're still trying to figure out what to treat. Um, last week, we got news that she had been accepted into this program at uh, the Michigan Head Pain and Neurological Institute, which is just outside of Ann Arbor. And so she um, was admitted there on Wednesday, and I was with her and and flew back yesterday, and I'll be flying back out there tomorrow. But just, I just want you guys to know what's going on, that, you know, you look at her and she doesn't look sick. She has a smile and just kind of soldiers on, but she is most of the time in extraordinary pain. And so you can pray for her. You can pray for me. I, um, I'm suffering compassion fatigue. And I just to put it out there so you know that it's, you know, when you're trying to care for somebody for a long time and you really don't know what to do, you kind of get to the place where you just kind of throw your hands up and you, uh, I don't know what to do. And you just kind of run out of steam. So you can pray for me. You can pray for us. Um, We are continuing to lean into the Lord. And we're continuing to trust him. She's been prayed for by hundreds, if not thousands of people. And the Lord has yet to choose to heal her. But um, we're still trusting him to do what he needs to do. And we're just trying to take whatever the next step is. And this seems to be the next step. So um, that's an FYI. Romans 3. Here's the thing. I am really excited about where we are in this book because the series is titled All Roads Lead to Romans. And as I mentioned week one, we're calling it that because most all of the questions of life, can you can trace them back to this book as far as getting the answers. And one of the questions that I suggested in that first week was um, that maybe that we're all asking is, what's wrong with our world? Right? I mean, what's going on? What, what is wrong with humanity? 
that we are inflicting such pain and such hardship and such destruction on each other. We've got ISIS going on and we've got this Syrian stuff happening and we've got presidential candidates that are, you know, saying that they're going to carpet bomb the Mideast. We've got a, a governor in Michigan and a city planner in Flint who totally disregarded the health of that city and, and allowed, you know, disease and death to happen on their watch. What's going on? What is so wrong with our world? Well, for two and a half chapters, the Apostle Paul has been telling us what's wrong. For two and a half chapters, Paul has shown us that at the core of all of this stuff is the human condition of sin. That there is no one righteous, not even one. No one understands God. Nobody seeks God. That God's wrath is being... um, revealed against all unrighteousness as he kind of takes his hands off and he lets us do whatever we want to do. Paul is saying what's happening in our world, what's wrong with our world is at its core the sin of humanity, the sin that we are all guilty of and nobody is with excuse. We're all without excuse. It's been pretty heavy stuff. And it's like, I don't really want to go to church today because I'm going to get beat up again. But we come to this portion in Romans chapter 3 and everything changes. Roy, if you would put the text up. And we're going to leave this up through the whole uh, message so you can keep referring to it. But after all of this talk of wrath and depravity and sin and condemnation, we come to these two words. Read them with me. But now. Read them again. But now. Isn't that awesome? We've got all of this terrible stuff going on. It's all bad news. But now. Martin Lloyd-Jones called these two words the great turning point. Ray Steadman called them God's great nevertheless. Friends, if we had not studied the first two and a half chapters of Romans, we would not have fully appreciated the depth of our sin and, and the fact that, that it, it, it pervades all of us. And if we hadn't come to that place, we wouldn't be able to appreciate the change that happens with these two words, but now. We've looked at our sin. We had no hope in transgression, but now we're going to see the hope and the life that we have in the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you'll remember four weeks ago, we looked at the crux of the book of Romans, the, the foundation of what Paul is going to talk about in, in chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, where he says, in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is from faith to faith. 
And then from 118 to 320, Paul showed that the righteousness of God, the, the perfect moral character of God, which he rightly requires for salvation, cannot be achieved by a human being. Not by a Jew, not by a Gentile, not by the moral, not by the immoral, not by the enlightened or the, the unenlightened. Paul has proven that no one can achieve the judicial standard of God. And now in chapter 3, verse 21, Paul picks up that original premise where he is going to restate that, that a righteousness from God is revealed. And it's not through the law, but it's through faith in Jesus Christ. Friends, this is really good news. As I said at the, the end of the service last week, these next 10 verses... Uh, verses 21 through 31, I guess that's 11 verses, are arguably the most densely packed, theologically significant verses in our Bible. And so we're going we're gonna to spend some time in them. If, if verses 16 and 17 of Romans 1 are the foundation, then 321 through 31 are the rebar. Everybody know what rebar is? How many of you know what rebar is? Okay, that's not very many of us. All right. So, in construction, see, you come to church, you learn all kinds of stuff. When you're, when you're building a house or you're laying a foundation for something, you don't just pour concrete because the concrete would crack and, and fall apart. So, before you pour the concrete you have to put in rebar, which is steel. It's the, the steel rods that go in there and you bind it together with other steel rods so that you have this framework inside the concrete so that when you pour the concrete in, you have this steel inside that keeps it all together. That's what, what gives you a solid foundation. And so verses... 16 and 17, Paul has shown us the foundation, but now he's going to show us inside. He's going to let us see the rebar that holds that foundation together, and he's going to talk about things like propitiation and justification and righteousness and faith and grace and atonement. We may not really understand those terms right now, but we need to because in understanding them, we understand the righteousness of God and we understand our salvation better. So I want us to look at these verses that Brad read for us a few moments ago and, and they're going to be on the screen the whole time. And those first two words are very important. He says, but now. Do you remember what came just before it at the end of, chap- uh, or at the end of verse 20? Um, it, it says that through the law we uh, comes the knowledge of sin. Through the law, we become conscious of our sin, but now. See, we have this, this historical demarcation in time taking place. There is, we move from law to grace. 
We move from symbolism to reality, from ceremony to substance, from external to internal, from prophecies to fulfillment. You see, in Galatians chapter 4, it says that when the fullness of time came, God sent his son. 1 Timothy 2 says he is the testimony born at the right time. Titus 1 said the word which was, which was made manifest at the proper time. You see, Jesus Christ came at a certain time. For 1,500 years, to the covenant community of Israel, the law revealed their need and prophesied the, re- the remedy of that. But now, in Jesus Christ, the law's demands have been met and the solution has come. The old covenant says, you've got a problem, but now the new covenant says the solution is here. The old covenant was the anticipation. The new covenant is the manifestation. The old covenant was the rules placed on immature children. The new covenant is the guidelines given to a maturing son. At the age of 13... What does every Jewish boy have? A bar mitzvah. Who knows what bar mitzvah means? Son of the covenant. That's your elder, Ross Coiner. <laughs> he, he plays bar mitzvahs. It means son of the covenant. At the age of 13... They went from being a child under rules to being a son of the covenant. And what Paul is saying is that in Jesus Christ, we have come of age. We are no longer children, but we've been bar mitzvahed. We've become sons and daughters of the covenant. External laws become internal conversion. But now, verse 21, but now a righteousness from God apart from the law has been made known. It has been revealed. Um, What is the righteousness of God? The righteousness of God is absolute divine perfection. Absolute divine perfection. It is what the Old Testament pointed to. It is what God personifies in himself. It is, um, it is what no human being can live up to. It is what hell will be punishment for. The righteousness of God is divine, is absolute divine perfection. And Paul says that righteousness of God is revealed It's made known. What does that mean? Well, I've got a prop. So I've got a a painting here that I'm going to reveal to you. And it's it's kind of a... um, um, uh, Renoir, what kind of painting? Impression. It's kind of impressionistic. I was drawn a blank. So it's kind of impressionistic. It's um, a painting of two people who are painting. 
And one of them is seated on a stool under a tree, and the other one's standing next to the tree. And, and there, there's a pond out in front of them, and they've, they're painting it. I think there's tulips out. There's a field of tulips, and there's pinks, and there's blues, and there, there's grass under their feet. Um, can you see the painting in your mind? Have I revealed it to you? Have I revealed it to you? I've described it to you, but you don't know if that's really what's painted, right? So I haven't revealed it to you. Now, I could get my handy-dandy flip chart, and I could kind of sketch out for you a representation of what the painting is. Would I then have revealed it to you? No. In fact, it probably would throw you off because I'm not very good. So in order to reveal the painting to you, what do I have to do? I have to reveal the painting to you. Okay, my wife, not my wife, my mother painted this years ago when she was just getting into painting, and it's not too bad. She's much better now. But um, anyway, I can't, no, I'm going to stay right there. So, but now you can, you can look at this and you can say, okay, I, yeah, that's what the painting is. What he was describing is exactly right. Um, though it was incomplete, I can examine this. I can know, know that. So now it's revealed. What Paul is saying is that God's righteousness has now been revealed. You can see it. You can examine it. It's not some guy's idea that's being described or a sketch that you're trying to figure out. No, it's revealed. Where was the righteousness of God revealed? In Jesus, right? Jesus came and he lived a life that nobody could find fault with. And yet he died a public death at high noon in a public square in the city of Jerusalem. It is a matter of historical record. It's been revealed. And not only that, but he was laid in a borrowed tomb so that on the third day he would rise from the dead and that tomb would be empty and he would appear to to hundreds of his followers over the next 40 days men and women who would give eyewitness testimony to the fact that he was risen. See, the righteousness of God has been revealed. You don't have to take somebody's word for it. It's not some description. It is, if you put your faith in Jesus and become a Christian, it is not a leap of blind faith. You're putting your faith in in something that is public record. And it's not a sketch. Um, When Jesus died, he said, it's finished. Meaning he took our sin upon himself and received the wrath of God that we deserved as a due penalty for that sin, thus making a way for us um, to take unto ourselves his righteousness. Remember what Paul told the Corinthians? He said that, Um, He who knew no sin became sin so that we might become what? The righteousness of God 
in him. Friends, the righteousness of God is now my possession through faith in Jesus Christ. It's been revealed. It's there. You see, friends, when Paul says that the righteousness of God has been revealed, made known, he means that it is found in in a person who is the Holy One of God who died for my sin, rose from the dead, and it is a finished work offered as a gift, and it is public and exposed for examination. Paul goes on, he says that it is apart from the law. And here, he is simply reiterating what he spent 61 verses telling us. For 61 verses, Paul proved beyond a shadow of a doubt that the reality is there can be no righteousness obtained by the law. You can't obtain righteousness by the law. Why? Is the law faulty? No, it's because we can never live up to it. It's because it's impossible. Suppose you want to go to the Caribbean. Anybody want to go to the Caribbean? It's like 80 degrees below zero outside. I want to go to the Caribbean. So you want to go to the Caribbean. So I'm going to tell you how to get to the Caribbean. I'll take you out to Jones Beach. All right. We'll go out to Jones Beach, and I'll point south. And it's like 2,500 miles or so to the Bahamas, okay? So you're going to, and I'm going to tell you, look, here's, here's how you navigate by the stars. Here's a compass. Here's a waterproof navigational chart. And, um, and so there you go. Go to the Caribbean. What are you going to say? Are you crazy? How am I going to get there? Well, swim, of course. What are you talking about? You know, swim. You know, you breathe, blow, breathe, blow, breathe, blow. You pronate your hands, you know, you kick. And don't forget to breathe and blow. That's very important. But go to the Bahamas. What are you going to say? I can't get there. Why? Was my... Were my directions to get there faulty? No. Was my swimming instruction inadequate? (laughs) Well, no. But you can't get there because nobody can swim 2,500 miles. See, that's the law. The law wasn't faulty. The law was there to show us that it was impossible to live up to the righteousness of God. In Jesus, that righteousness is revealed. You see, Jesus made it to the Bahamas. In Jesus Christ is all the law was and is or ever shall demand. So this righteousness from God is apart from the law. And yet, verse 21 says, it is a righteousness to which the law and the prophets testify. You see, our salvation is apart from the law, but it's not contrary to the law. The purpose of the law was to give witness to the person of Jesus Christ. In Genesis chapter 22... 
God tells, God tells Abraham to take Isaac, his only son, the son through whom all of God's promises would be fulfilled. God tells Abraham to take Isaac and sacrifice him. And so Abraham and Isaac are, are heading up Mount Moriah and, and Isaac says to Abraham, he says, Dad, we've got the wood, we've got the fire, but where is the lamb? Where is the lamb of sacrifice? Friends, the all-encompassing question of the Old Testament is, where is the lamb? From Genesis 3 on, God communicated to his people that without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sin. Even though under the law, animals were offered as sacrifice, there was still the realization that those sacrifices did not impart the righteousness that God required. The author of Hebrews said that it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. So where is the lamb? David said in Psalm 51, you do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. So where is the lamb? Isaiah said, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Isaiah is saying, where is the lamb? Jeremiah said, his name shall be called the Lord our righteousness. Where is this righteousness? Where is this substitute? Where is the lamb? Well, Abraham answered the question when he said to Isaac, God will provide the lamb. Do you know where the, in the New Testament the lamb is referred to? After all of these years of the law and the prophets prefiguring and asking the question, where is the lamb? John the Baptist steps on the scene and when he sees Jesus, the very first words out of his mouth were, behold, the lamb. The lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. God provided the lamb. Someone to die in our place and thus offer us the righteousness we need. All the Old Testament asked, where is the lamb? John the Baptist said, he's here. And his name is Jesus. You remember what Jesus did after he told his disciples in Luke 9 that he was going to have to die? And they said, Lord, this shall never be. Um. See, they didn't get it. They didn't understand the relationship between his death and then his return and his reign and glory. And so in order that they would understand it, what Jesus did was he took three of them up on the Mount of Transfiguration. And it says in Luke 9 that while he was up there, he, he was joined by two guys and they, they spoke about Jesus' death. Remember who joined him on the Mount of Transfiguration? Moses and Elijah. Moses represents the law. Elijah represents the prophets. You see, the law and the prophets were talking to Jesus about his death. 
And that's why Jesus would say, you search the scripture thinking that in them you find life, but it is these that bear witness of me. Whenever you come to the law and the prophets and try to find life, they say, excuse me, but that's not why we're here. We're here to point you to the one who is the fulfillment of the law and the prophecies. Behold the Lamb, Jesus. That is why we say our salvation is apart from the law, but it is not contrary to the law. Verse 22, this righteousness comes from God. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus to all who believe. What is faith? Faith is what comes when you realize there's nothing else you can do. Faith is what comes when you recognize the utter perfection of God and the utter depravity of your soul and you see the impassable gulf between the two. Faith is when you stand on Jones Beach and you say, I want to go to the Bahamas, but I can't get there. Faith is when we trust God because we know that there's nothing else we can do. Hebrews 11.1 one says, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. I hope for a perfect righteousness that can unite me with my creator. And yet I do not see it in my life, nor will I ever see it in my life. But I'm sure of it. And I'm certain of it because I have put my faith in Jesus Christ who is the righteousness of God revealed. There's nothing else I can do. Verse 22, this righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In God's eyes, Um, there's no difference between Jew and Gentile. There's no distinction. In God's eyes, all sin and fall short of the glory of God. Um, Preacher or prophet, prostitute or pimp, it doesn't matter. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned. It's a past act. It's finished and there's nothing I can do to repair it. Like Lady Macbeth, I can wash and wash and wash and wash, but I cannot remove the stain of guilt. All have sinned. And like a runner collapsing in the field, all have fallen short of heaven's ideal, namely the glory of God. You see, the end of the law is glory. The end of Christ's life is glory. The end of perfect, perfect ascription to moral code is glory. But we have all fallen out of the race and we'll never finish. Do you see the importance of these verses? 
See how important it is for us to understand that our salvation is by trusting in a finished work that God has revealed and that the law and the prophets have brought us to. Salvation comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. You see, the bad news, the bad news is Romans 1.32. Although we know God's decrees, we continue to go against them and thus deserve death. The bad news is Romans 2.5. That because of our stubborn and unrepentant heart, we are storing up wrath for the day of God's righteous judgment. The bad news is 2.8, where because we are self-seeking, we are rejecting the truth and we are subject to God's wrath. The bad news is 2.16, that God will judge me according to the secrets of my heart. The bad news... Is 3.9, that I'm not any better than anybody else and I am under sin. The bad news is 3.11 and 12. There is no one righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks God. No one does good. No, not one. The bad news is 3.20, that no one will be declared righteous by observing the law because no one can. The past of our lives is bad news. But we... We know our sin. We're, we're aware, aware of our failures. That we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But now. <laughs> but now. But now. But now a righteousness from God has been made known. And this righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus to all who believe. Friends, through faith in Jesus Christ, God has saved us from the past of what was and given us new birth into what is. Do you remember the story of the the blind guy in John chapter 9? He'd been blind from birth. And, and Jesus healed him. And so the Pharisees bring him in and, and they start questioning him. And who was this guy? And how, how do you know he was a good guy? And did he do it by the power of Satan? And they're trying to discredit Jesus. And, and I love the, the, the man's response. He, he looks at these Pharisees with his new eyes. Eyes that can now see clearly the men in front of him. And he says, you know, all that stuff that you're talking about, all those questions you're asking, I don't know. I don't know. Here's what I do not know. Once I was blind, but now I see. Isn't that great? Once I was blind, but now I see. We all All of us who have placed our faith in Jesus Christ have a but now testimony. You heard Brad share a little bit of his a few minutes ago. He had the the pedigree and the book and the tattoo, but now. Because he understands his righteousness from Jesus and he surrendered himself to that. And he's now walking in a new reality. You heard a little bit of Angie's testimony a few minutes ago that she was looking for, for fulfillment and all of this stuff and was chasing all of these empty dreams and nothing was working. But now, because of Jesus, now she's full. Now she's filled up. 
Friends, but now are powerful words. Like the blind beggar of John 9, we may not understand or even know Old Testament law and prophecies. We may not know much theology. We, people might ask us a lot of questions. We, I don't know. Terms like justification and propitiation and redemption may not have found their way into our vocabulary. But what you know is what your past has been. You remember your sin. You're aware of your failure. You know that the first two and a half chapters of Romans have described your past all too well. But when Satan holds that up to you and accuses you and questions you and tries to discredit the work of Jesus in your life, all you need to say is, yes, that was what was, but now. But now, Christ has come. But now, I have put my faith in him. But now, I have become a new creature because of his righteousness, not my own. In his commentary on this text, D. Martin Lloyd-Jones wrote these words. But now, this is the essence of the Christian position. This is how faith answers the accusations of the law, the accusations of conscience, and everything else that would condemn and depress us. These are indeed wonderful words, and it is most important that we should lay hold of them and realize their tremendous importance and their real significance. But now... Here's the question for us. The question for you. Can you say those words? Once I was blind, but now I see. Once I was lost, but now I'm found. Once I was subject to the wrath of God, but now the righteousness of God has been revealed in the person of Jesus Christ and I have put my faith in him and therefore I am certain of my eternal destiny. If you have trusted in Jesus and his death on your behalf, you can say, but now. But if you are here this morning and you have never understood the righteous requirement of God and you have never appreciated the, the depth of your depravity, but the Holy Spirit has opened your eyes to these things. I am here to tell you on the authority of God's word that the bad news of your past can become the good news of but now. There is only thing you must do because there is nothing else you can do. And that is put your faith in Jesus who is the righteousness of God revealed. Let me pray for us. Wow.
Lord, I am so grateful that after several weeks of, of being challenged with the reality of my sin, you dropped this bomb of incredible news on me. That, yeah, I was blind. Yeah, I was lost. Yeah, I was trusting in my own self-righteousness, but, but now, because of Jesus, I don't have to live in that. I can live in the fullness of life that you came to offer. Lord, I, I pray for every person here who at one point in time has placed their faith in you. I pray that today would be a, um, a revelation of the, the power of, of the good news. And that, that they might live new because they recognize that they are new. Lord, I pray that for me too. That in the, in the certainty and security that I have because of the cross, that, that, well, that I would be a different man. That we would be a different people. And if you're here this morning and you're not sure that you have a but now testimony. You're not sure that you've ever really gone from that place of blindness or that place of lostness or that place of of judgment. But you can do that today. You can do it with certainty today. By placing your faith in Jesus. And I'm gonna I'm gonna say a brief prayer. And as I as I've said in recent weeks, these are not magic words, these are just the expression of the heart. And you can uh, repeat them after me in the quiet of your heart, or you can say something else, but um, the gist is you just come and you say, um, Father God. I am so grateful that you loved me so much that you did not judge me according to my sin, but you judged Jesus on my behalf. And I'm so grateful that I don't have to leap blindly into this, but that you have revealed it. This is a matter of history. So Lord, today, I receive your grace. I receive your forgiveness. I receive your righteousness. I know the sin of my past.